0: Hello, um, so uh, today we're going on to the last uh, section of Acts chapter 5 um, should be very interesting, I've, I've never had the opportunity to preach on this, this passage Usually when we get to Acts 5, um, if I'm given the choice, I'll always preach on Ananias and Sapphira Because that's, that's probably the coolest part of the passage <laughs> Well, it's certainly the most impactful to imagine that um, someone in your church could just drop dead because they lied to the Spirit and how you explain that to the general population? Uh, you know, I mean, in those days they went out and buried them, but we'd probably get into trouble if we did that here. But anyway, fortunately, Daryl spoke on that last week. I'm on to the follow-on part of that passage, um, part of the results from that, and it's, I found it more interesting than I expected to. So, unlike Daryl, I have five points. That's how many fingers I've got. That's good. Um, There's probably a few more than that, but five of them struck me, so they're the ones I'm going to concentrate on. And what I will do is I will speak. I'll read the part of the passage I'm going to talk on, talk on it, then read the next passage. Otherwise, I imagine if you're anything like me, by the time I get to the last section of the scripture, you will have forgotten what I said when I read it. Um, You might be able to both read the passage and listen to what I'm saying, or you might not. This and this keeps me reminds me of what the passage says, so I'm not just reading my notes. So the first section is verses 12 to 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So despite the fact that the church has had a bit of a crisis, um, God hasn't abandoned them. Just because Ananias and Pharaoh are unfaithful, God didn't abandon the church. Understandably, people were afraid to join the church. Um, only people who were really serious about God ended up joining. And yet still, many people are at it. It's sort of like the stories you hear about persecuted church. Have you ever wondered when you read stories from the persecuted church, why do people join this church? They know joining God's church will mean that they're going to get persecuted. In Australia, it's like, okay, it could be a nice social club. They're reasonably nice people. Let's go there. In a persecuted country you only join the church if you're deadly serious because that's how you might end up. Your family could be persecuted, you could end up having a long, unpleasant life as you suffer for that. Um, Possibly it's getting a little bit that way in Australia. Darrell cited the man from Essendon who lost his job because of something that was preached in his church, not something he said. Interesting to think that you might suffer because someone looks at a video from St. Clair and something I might say today, you might be persecuted for that. It makes you wonder. How serious are, well it makes me wonder, how serious am I about church? And it's a hard question to answer. It's easy to say. Certainly when I was younger I thought I'd, I'd cope with persecution. I'm okay. As I get older and I understand what pain can mean and I can understand what suffering can mean, I could lose my comforts, sometimes I I doubt a lot more whether i how I stand up to persecution. I pray that I would stand up correctly, but as I get older I find myself doubting more and more that I would. I'm afraid of pain and unfortunately I'm also afraid of losing the comfort that I have. But we all have to deal with that sort of thing and I'm sure you'll all have doubts in your own mind too. Maybe you won't. Maybe you've experienced persecution to come through it. And that's great if you have. But are we serious? The other thing that's interesting is that people are laying their sick on, on the ground hoping that Peter's shadow will fall on them. Now, there's no statement that they were healed when the shadow fell on them. But this was their, their belief that just the shadow could heal them. The same, and it's not out of the realms of possibility. Remember the lady who's healed by just touching Jesus' clothes. It's her faith that heals her. It's not the cloth. It's her faith. Um, so, that's just interesting. And it's interesting that God still heals many of them. So 17 to 26 is the next section. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors in the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. So, the Apostles have been grabbed because the chief, because the religious leaders of the time are jealous. Jealous of their success, jealous of what the people thought about them. And for me, it says. sometimes I wonder, am I jealous of the people who have success in ministry? I did youth group for 30 years. I would not class what I did as having massive success in any measurable way. I didn't have a youth group of hundreds of people or well, I had friends who did, um, I had friends who had a waiting list to go to their youth group. How impressive would that be? I've got so many people in my hall that when people ask if they can join, I say, well, I've got a waiting list. As soon as someone drops out, you can come. Awesome. But am I jealous of that? Do I? Sure. sure I want that success. Or am I willing to say this is God's kingdom and I'm happy for your success? For me, the combat—the way I combat the jealousy I have when I look at other people's success—is to praise God for their success and praise God that they're advancing the kingdom. It doesn't necessarily make the feelings go away. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm clear about that for myself, but I don't want to get to the point where I say, "I, I hope I hope you fail, so you're like me," or "I hope I succeed and you fail." <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Very godly. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, (laughs) fortunately God accepts us as we are and he understands and it's silly of me not to say that that's what happens inside me because God knows and lying to God as we found out last week is a bad idea so I I promote looking honestly at yourself and how you feel and dealing with that because I don't want the paperwork that would come into into my office if you were to die while I was speaking that be really awkward Um, but yes and we also see the disciples are delivered so God has delivered them for a purpose now maybe you've been delivered we cannot, but just because God has delivered you once or worked a miracle in your life once, whether it's with health or um, with circumstances we can't count on that going forward, all these disciples, except for John died martyrs. God delivered them in this case but they couldn't presume on that for the next one. And as we find out later in this passage, they couldn't even presume on it for the next day. They were delivered once, the next day they're flogged. 39 lashes. So we can't presume on God's kindness. God may deliver us, nor can we say that if he doesn't deliver us, it's not in his plan that we've done something wrong, that we're being punished. The prosperity gospel, which is very prevalent, would say if something bad happens to you, that's because you're a sinner. If you're not healed it's because you've got no faith. That's presuming on God, and that isn't the way it is. As we see in these passages and many others, Christians suffer. God, Jesus says, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Be ready. Don't presume that having faith means you won't suffer. In fact, you should probably presume the opposite. That if you have true faith that oozes out of you and the people around you, what that will bring is suffering into your life. That's why we need to be serious about God. Now, oh no, that's the next question. <laughs> Okay, the next... Where's my glasses? there? So, 27 to... Oh, no. I missed two verses. No, oh, never mind. 25 to 26. Then someone said, come. Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple's courts preaching. That the captain went off with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. So... Here's these people who've been healing people the crowds love them, this is awesome the captain of the guard comes, doesn't want to arrest them because they're afraid the crowds will rise up so when he comes to the apostles and uh, says the, the chief priests and guys, the guys who put you in jail they'd like to talk to you the disciples had a choice at that point, they could have said to the crowds the Sanhedrin are coming to take us away they're coming home coming to take away the people who are healing you which would have resulted in a unpleasant, violent confrontation with the guard. What did the disciples do? They accepted it. They had a perfect choice. Sometimes the carnal solution that's available to us isn't what we should take. Sometimes we have to just choose the suffering. That's not always the case. In Acts 25, when Paul is brought before the Romans, he appeals to Caesar because that's his right as a Roman citizen. As a result, he ends up getting taken to Rome and probably having more trouble than he would have if he hadn't done that. But as Christians, when we're persecuted, we do have choices. Sometimes there's legal there's legal ways we could appeal it or not. We have that choice. How we choose is difficult, I guess. In this instance, the disciples chose to go with the soldiers to avoid violence because they knew Jesus doesn't like violence. Jesus avoided violence. So they didn't choose a solution which was against God. In Paul's case I think it was just he could appeal, it wasn't it wasn't going to cause a conflict of interest with what he's preaching it wasn't going to cause violence so he had that option. When we're persecuted what, what how do we defend ourselves? That's up to us we need to think carefully before we resort to the same sort of tactics as the people who are accusing us. So, I don't have good answers on that one. The closest I've come to persecution is my boss just disliking me because I was a Christian. Um, So I moved departments, that was easy. Because it was an option I had. I could have stayed, maybe I should have, I don't know. But at the time it was easiest just to move departments, so I did. So, Yeah, we, so when we're persecuted we need to choose a solution which is consistent with God's kingdom and it's not on us to avoid trouble at any cost the cost to avoid the trouble does count because everything we do is judged both by God and by man 27 to um, 33 uh, is that right? The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and Saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. So, they're in trouble. They're in front of people who can cause them a lot of trouble. They don't resort to being politically correct. Peter just says, this is the way it is. This is the story. He still turns it into a gospel presentation. He's still trying to save them. But he's not avoiding the facts. And I wonder how much we tend to resort to political correctness to avoid strife. Um, It's interesting sometimes, you hear Christians trying to convince People to become Christians, and they sound like salesmen. They tell them all the good things about being a Christian, how their life will be positively impacted. They neglect little things like persecution. They neglect little things like having to change, wanting to change our lifestyles. Not that that's required. Um, we try to sell it to them as though they need convincing. Peter doesn't try to sell this. It's the message that's in the Bible, and it's the message he delivers. When we talk about marriage, when we talk about homosexuality, what the Bible says about it, do we find ourselves being politically trying to be politically correct and apologising for what the Bible says, or saying, "Oh, it says this, but it doesn't really mean"? Reading some of the papers, I'm finding that at some point in Victoria, you can now get into trouble, legal trouble, for telling your kids that marriage is between a man and a woman. Yes. Um, it's not here yet but there are people who push that that line for us to say what the Bible says even if we personally don't agree with it to say the Bible says this would be illegal to say that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin is not very politically correct it doesn't say it's a worse sin than pride or arrogance or any of the things we're more, more likely to be guilty of but it does say it's a sin. And that's the thing that got this guy message and in trouble. Someone in his church got up and said this is what the Bible says about homosexuality in 2013. It's not even something he said. So how are we willing, when we talk about the gospel, are we willing to say clearly what the message is? And if God convicts us that this person needs to leave a certain sin behind, or be aware that they're doing it, would we say it? Or are we reluctant? Are we trying to sell a message? And from my point of view, only God can convict people to become Christians. The message is tough. To be a Christian has lots of responsibilities, like for me, that I wouldn't have if I wasn't a Christian. It gives me guidance for the way I want to live because it's better for me that I wouldn't necessarily have to follow in some ways life would be easier if I didn't have to follow them I don't think my life would be better if I didn't follow them if that distinction makes it um, if if that's a distinction that means something but the main point I got from that section of the passage is Peter says we must obey God not man God is over man God is over the rule God is over what people think of us we must obey God. We need to spend some time working out what God wants. Um, Peter and the apostles, in that particular instance, very easy. Go to the go to the temple and preach. Angel told them, easy enough. Um, I'm not always sure that it's quite that clear for, for me, anyway. Um, angel, of course, just means messenger of God. Um, so, whether it means an angelic being or not, I'm not sure that that's always the connotation. But it's not always clear to me what God wants. And so sometimes, if I'm unclear, I'll defer to the, the easy option, I guess. But ultimately, if we know what God wants, we need, we need to put that above our own personal comfort. And more tougher, I think, is above the comfort of our children, above the comfort of our family. I think in many ways, our society has glorified the family more than God does. Families are very important, but they're not more important than God. That's a tough one. I find that difficult. If the persecution wasn't going to hurt me, if it was going to hurt my family, that would be much more difficult for me to stand up to, I think. Uh, the second last section, 34 to 40. There is it. But a Pharisee named Gamil, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put aside outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theadis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed and all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will not only find yourself fighting you will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. For a long time, I thought the words of the Pharisee were very wise. You don't want to get in God's way. That's just a bad idea. But when you think about it more, he's also got the wrong idea. Success it's not a measure of whether you're doing God's will, not at all, and it's something that our culture um, has certainly had a big impact on me. I look at my uh, 30, years, it was 30 years, it was probably 30 years of doing youth work, no big success. When I'm depressed, that's a cause for more failure, and I look at it and I say, well, what did I do? Have I wasted my 30 years? I didn't have any big success. I look at the church here, and in many ways we're a lot smaller than we were when I joined 20 years ago or 25 years ago, whatever it was. Oh, I actually must be 21, cause I joined the year that the Lord of the Rings came out. Because the first church activity that I remember is lining up on Boxing Day to go see Lord of the Rings. So whatever year it was, yep, so 21 years. So. We could say, is the church failing because we're getting smaller? Human success is not a measure of God's will. If we look at Jesus, by human terms, he failed terribly. At best, he left 11 disciples. He had 12, but one of them betrayed him. Not really much of a success story. But in God's economy, it's being faithful that counts and doing God's will. And that's pretty hard for us in our culture of success, How much progress have you made in your life and in your career? What's the position title? Is it nice and long? It's long. You must be successful. You're probably getting. Is it a big pay packet? You're probably successful. But that doesn't mean you're walking in God's way. I can understand how the Old Testament is a little bit more like that. When the Israelites were faithful, they did have success. But we're under a new covenant now, and that isn't the criteria of success. So Gamil is really a fence-sitter because he's also avoided the the real question. Are these people who are preaching God following God or not? Is what they're saying what God wants us to hear? He's avoiding that issue entirely. So he's a bit of a fence-sitter, although he does save their lives. A mere 39 lashes, which is all they're allowed to issue. Um, And the last two verses say the, the disciples went out joyful that they've been considered worthy to suffer for God? Um, I don't know how you feel when you start being persecuted. I wonder if joyful is the right word. I don't know what joyful means, so I, I can't say. But no one's ever given me a good definition of joy, so I don't know what it means. But it's used a lot, so it must be important. Do you consider it joyful when you're feeling persecuted for your faith? Do you say, this means I'm actually living out a life that's so different from the culture around me that they feel convicted to, be, to persecute me, to see if it's real? When I was at university, I had some pet friends, and we were, you know, you'd get together on a Monday and you talk about what you did on the weekend. I noticed eventually that they stopped talking when I got there. Know why? Eventually I asked them, I said, oh, well, we don't like to talk about what we do on the weekend because we know you wouldn't approve. Um, okay. Would I have said it? They just were aware that their their partying on the weekend wasn't something that I would do. Wasn't something I would say is a good thing to do. And for some reason they felt convicted by it and that could have escalated. That sort of thing escalates when people have power. These guys were just my peers, so they didn't have any power over me. So they couldn't try and pressure me one way or the other. But when you live a life... shining God out it'll rub the culture the wrong way and people will persecute you for it partially to see if you're real about it and partially because they're feeling guilty or they don't know how to ask they don't know how to leave their pride behind and ask you how they can get in on it so we need to change our attitude when we're suffering for the gospel so my um The five points for me out of this passage was I need to be aware of my jealousy for other people who are successful and I need to combat that by praying for them and praying that their success will continue, that the kingdom might be grown. I need to consider my escape choices when I'm persecuted. I need to consider what I can correctly do before God that honours Him because maybe some of my solutions aren't exactly... Um, what God would be pleased with not options that Jesus would take in that instance and I really need to remember that success is not equal to God's purpose I can't say if I'm following God's will just by how much success I do or don't have I can't say how faithful I'm being by how much success I do or don't have measuring faithfulness of what we do is much more difficult so we tend not to do it so much. I need to be prepared to suffer if my life is different enough from the culture around me. And I always need to remember that God needs to be above all other preferences because that's how he wants us to, to live. Thank you very much. That's me done. No, I don't think we have any more songs. And, nope, good. Thank you very much. Daniel, did you have anything to finish it off with? or? Nope. Thank you gentlemen and ladies um, I will probably see you next week